Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. And this is your host, Robbie Martin. Thank you for joining us. We got a we got a doozy for y'all today. We're doing three back to back. Yeah, we are really we are here. really cranking these out because we got very behind on podcasts as we we sort of warned our patrons that this might happen, even though we are still definitely going to put out four episodes this month. Don't worry, we're not going to try to just sneak out three episodes this month because um, we actually put out our one at the end of February, right at the beginning of March. We missed the cutoff, so there will actually be four more episodes um, coming besides the, our interview with Liking Online, which was posted last week. Um, and if you didn't hear that one, just a quick recap of what it was, is there was a guy who uh, got in a fight with a DNC uh, official online and in this art Twitter argument he basically accidentally stumbled upon a giant network of bots sock puppet accounts that she was using and that's also been u- used by dozens of other of these sort of resistance figures um, including just you know it's not really the important crux of the story but some of these sock puppets accounts that like people like Sally Albright and other people were using actually had avatars of dead um, victims of police shootings and stuff like that the really fascinating stuff um, please check it out it really sort of hones in on the idea that there are a lot of online political influence operations happening and that some of them are actually way more overboard than any of this stuff we've been able to find out about Russia um, so I think it helps put things in, better into context. Yeah, he goes through all the data and basically says that the Russian troll operations pale in comparison to the actual share blue David Brock, you know, political operative, uh, democratic operative operations. Um, thousands of times exponentially um, more influential than anything with the Internet Research Agency has done. So it's fascinating, um, and the using these photos impersonating victims of police violence was just beyond the pale to me. Um, check it out; it's really great. Um, yeah, they have no and- shame. I mean, I mean, basically, what happens is you can buy. You know, you hear about people buying followers. That's sort of like what dumb people do online. The less clever people just buy followers. Like I've seen comedians doing that. Where all of a sudden, like Anthony Cumia, the guy who got kicked off of SiriusXM, has like a hundred thousand bot You're followers. Rambo Biggs, Rambo Biggs. Yeah, and it's like Rambo Biggs like fails his Twitter K. audit. He's got like a thirty. <laughs> it's like, dude, you guys are fucking. Re- I mean, yeah. just just it's so obvious to people. But actually, this what this guy was explaining to me is the more clever method is to just buy Twitter accounts, sock puppets, in like buy the in bulk. And then once you do that, you just have a software portal that logs you into like over 100 Twitter accounts at once and you click tweet once and it gets tweeted to all those other accounts at the same time. It's not even a retweet by all these other accounts. It's like an actual duplicate tweet. And somehow that's not even against Twitter's terms of service yet. Like they haven't even like banned that practice yet. So that's yeah, just like very fascinating said, it's, to it's me. It's ad- advantageous for them to not do it. It benefits them. 
But yeah, check it out. It's a great interview. Everyone should listen to it. So this week kind of marks a lot. It marks the 50th anniversary of the My Lai massacre in Vietnam, where 500 children, women, and elderly men were slaughtered by U.S. forces. Um, And it's also the 15th anniversary of, obviously, the criminal invasion of Iraq. Um, This is something that people who were old enough at the time remember as really a turning point, I think. You know, obviously 9-11 was the turning point, but the Iraq war, I think, cemented, at least for me personally, a lot of things. It, it, it exposed the media's complicity in selling imperial wars and, you know, world domination on behalf of the U.S. These stenographer journalists just kind of became obedient lapdogs um, in a way that I just never was, a, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand before. I was too young. And um, obviously, this isn't a new thing, media propaganda working on behalf of the state. But I woke up. Um, and ever since then, I haven't looked back. And so, you know, here we are 15 years later, Robbie, millions of people who have been dead or wounded or displaced. Um, the Middle East is is in shambles for generations, um, destabilized because of this criminal invasion. No one was held accountable. And beyond no one being held accountable, the people who were involved intimately, the architects, the perpetrators, are in places of power, either in Trump's administration or lauded and paraded around the corporate media as resistance leaders, as Russia experts, leading these think tanks, setting this, the narrative for the Russia Gate hysteria. We've um, never had, and I don't, I don't know if this is just because I've been looking at this more closely since yeah. working on a very heavy agenda, but I feel like we never have had this much of a sort of soaked in media landscape of like a straight pathway from our intelligence apparatuses, ex-intelligence think tank apparatuses straight into the media, like ever. This is the, this is to me the most soaked in unified era that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. And that's very disturbing and strange. Um, and so that's just something I've noticed, but sorry, I kind of cut no, you No, absolutely. No, it is, it is absolutely true. And what's so strange to me is that everyone kind of knows it's like this, um, zeitgeist where, you know, everyone kind of understands that the media sold us the Iraq war and it's just kind of like a joke in passing yet. We, you know, the New York times is still that paper of record, the Washington post, all these people who were propagandists who who are complicit in the this criminal war and the deaths of millions of people and they're still given jobs they're still out there shaping um, the agenda and I just don't understand it meanwhile the people who have been vehemently anti-war since the beginning are still the ones who are marginalized are still the ones who are now conflated with fascists and of course. neo-nazis and you know um and then while we're people like us are marginalized um the people who are actual like fascists or slash charlatans like Richard Spencer and Mike Cernovich get boosted for being for being saying things like hands off Syria so that they can marginalize <laughs> us even more and make it seem like the most prominent anti-Syrian intervention people are like disgusting scam artists, right wingers or like total racist pieces of shit, which is just yep. hilariously manipulative. Like it's so blatantly manipulative that I can't it just it's hard to even wrap my mind around like how fucking disgusting it is but it is disgusting and and you would think that with such an outrageous event the you know the largest crime of our generation that is still um look at look at the Middle East today ISIS um failed states millions tens of millions displaced like I said dead um and and not even a passing mention on the news 
other than, of course, leaders like Corbyn, Bernie Sanders, who still make sure to remind us, you know, what what happened. Um, no one on, on the news is talking about it. <clears throat> we we were watching just to see if anyone would mention it. And, and instead, it was just Stormy Daniels 24-7. If it wasn't Russia, it was Stormy. Yeah. Um, and- unreal. It is unreal, and but at the same time, like, I'm kind of torn on the Stormy Daniels thing because, like, it, it like it really is a pretty like I mean we can go to a little bit later, but it really is like a really crazy story, um, like what could possibly be unfolding. Like I mean I I usually don't try to buy into like I try to avoid buying into the hype. You know when the PP tape thing landed in that BuzzFeed dossier, like I was like holy shit, what if this is real? You know, it's probably not, but wow, like, what if it actually is and something like this comes out? You know, it was kind of in the back of my mind. Apparently, Stormy Daniels' lawyer is playing, is really making some pretty wild threats right now where he, sh- he put, and this could be a total tease, but he posted a picture of, like, a CD-ROM burned, and he's like, get ready, something I like, know, yeah. try to deny it. <laughs> he's like, a picture is worth a thousand words. What's this worth, real Donald Trump? <laughs> oh, my God. I mean... Like, I, I'm not saying I, I think it's going to be like a sex tape or anything, but oh my God, can you imagine what would happen? I mean, I, I, there's, I don't know. So anyways, the Stormy Daniels thing, I'm kind of torn on, but I agree no, that I the know. media I, is I like... I do want to talk about it, yeah. but I think the media is covering it in a bad way because they're covering it like, again, that people who are Trump supporters are going to care that he had an affair. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like of course they are. Like, dude, no one cares. No, like, do you Trump think that... Trump supporters like this. Yeah, the fucking like... Him. All the whole televangelist. I didn't even learn this until last night, and and I feel embarrassed saying this, but I actually learned it on the Rachel Maddow program because I was curious what she was going to say about the Bolton appointment, which is something that is absolutely horrifying that we're going to leave for the end of this podcast. Um, but she was saying, and she showed clips of one of Trump's main lawyers that goes on television actually comes from televangelism, and I was just like astonished, thinking like Trump is just a total fucking moron. Like, politicians who use evangelicals have traditionally learned to keep them at arm's length, right? <laughs> like, they know that they're supposed to use them to get votes, but not actually, like, bring them into the cabinet and, like, bring them this close. Like, Trump is just dumb as fuck. Like, Dude, Trump is so dumb. Have you seen his spelling? He can't spell the word count, council. I saw weather. that. I He's saw that. And actually, this lawyer, they played a funny collage. And again, I will admit, it was on the Rachel Maddow show. But it was still ridiculous that this lawyer, whenever he bring up brings up the Magnitsky Act on TV, he calls it the Majinsky Act, like over and over and over again. This is Trump's lawyer. Oh my god! Who can't even pronounce the thing that's in like the like the kind of the crux of what Mueller is investigating? <laughs> that's a, oh really really insane. Damn, he's playing some three hundred D chess. And and you know what else is crazy is the new lawyer. He just fired one of them and replaced them with another lawyer, who, like honestly, like have you have you seen the informant, Abby, mm, with Matt Damon? Ago. A long time ago. Why? Okay, basically the plot of that movie is he's just a pathological liar who manages to trick the FBI and trick all these prosecutors until at the very end. All the prosecutors in the FBI realize that he he was the liar the whole time. And then he tries to spin a lawsuit against the FBI for assaulting him with a briefcase. And at the end of the movie, he basically hires like an ambulance chaser, like crazy lawyer from like TV to defend him. And it's just like it just progressively gets crazier and crazier. And this is it's almost like Trump is paralleling the, the plot of the informant. 
Like now he's gone through all of his lawyers and he's hiring like a crackpot, like TV lawyer guy now to defend him who's already gone on TV claiming that the FBI is deliberately trying to frame Trump for a crime and all this stuff. So it's just really interesting that he would choose a lawyer like that and not just one who's like a really good lawyer. It it just really shows that his ego is kind of out of control. Just more examples of that, I guess. Oh my God. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, we're going to get into the Stormy Daniels thing in a second. But I just wanted to remind people about this guy, Nick Cohen. This is just one of the dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of journalists that um, just our empire baby, like apologists, you know, this guy, Nick Cohen in the guardian talked about how, you know, cranks have turned the world upside down. How conspiracy theories were once a fringe interest in the area of populace. They've now gone mainstream. Meanwhile, he's basically 10 years later. He was still saying the, the case for invading Iraq is valid. He said, oh, yeah, a decade, yeah. he, did, he said a decade after Saddam, Saddam was overthrown, why are some progressives still loath to celebrate his demise? Hmm, maybe because Iraq is way worse than it was um, under Saddam. And here's his, his amazing article in The Telegraph, January of 2003. The left betrays the Iraqi people by opposing war. Sound huh. familiar? Yeah, that sounds like Dan Savage and a bunch of other pieces of shit. Sound familiar? Yeah, it sounds like Eli Lake. It sounds like Christopher Hitchens. It sounds like all these other psychopaths who basically wanted us to kill a million people for no reason because they were absolutely scared little babies after 9-11 and the anthrax attacks. Here's September 19th, 2011. I was going to say 2001. I was going to say, oh, okay, well, this is right after 9-11. No, 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 no. This was 2011. Christopher Hitchens writing for Slate Magazine. The title of the article is In Defense of Endless War. And basically it says, as 9-11 showed, civilization has enemies with which peace is neither possible nor desirable. You sick fuck. That's what you think? What a little fucking baby. These people can't be reasoned with. We just have to nuke them all. That's essentially what what the argument is. I mean, the weird thing about Hitchens is he he used to be actually smart back in the day and i mean honestly like i i kind of wonder like he was an alcoholic and alcohol does cause degenerative (laughs) brain disease in some people especially as you get older and i wouldn't be surprised if he just drank he just pickled his own fucking brain because it like literally like how could you be that dumb change from being like kind of intellectual and savvy and being able to be a contrarian about sort of like conventional wisdom in certain areas and then just totally fall fully head first into the toilet cesspool of like neoconservative propaganda. I, I just don't absolutely understand. absolutely mind blowing. But, but a lot of these like, and it's weird, the new atheist movement has like picked up where he left off, which is his kind of unhinged um, apologists like for the empire. Yeah, they basically, you're exactly right. They massacres. picked up, they picked up where he turned the switch of like new atheism or like anti-dogma into like a Muslim hating, like frothing at the mouth, neoconservative imperialism. Yeah. That's absolutely pathetic. It's so weird, man. I mean, (laughs) the the thing that's weird about just seeing the way that the media is rebranded, you know, rebranded these Iraq war architects and all the criminals and they're treating them like old sages and the younger people, the people who are teenagers and getting into college and in high school right now, Obviously, they're they they're not astute enough, or they don't remember. Uh, you know, they they were too young to remember the Iraq War. They're too young to remember nine eleven. But the people who are our age and older, I don't understand how you can not wake up to that 
and not be savvy now to how the media has done this and how it literally is just like an arm, an extension of the empire. Um, and, and why do you trust these people again? Like all the liberals who were all up, up in arms about WMDs. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it really that hyper-partisan that they actually are lauding the actual criminals and perpetrators of the Iraq war because they're saying they're anti-Trump? I think, I mean, I really do think things have become that polarized. It's like a knee-jerk reaction. And it happens on both sides. The people on the alt-right and the Trump supporters, they... They've, they're more in the place of thinking that the media lies to us and the media is fake, but completely for the wrong and like just blatantly partisan reasons because they, because the mainstream media is leaning against Trump and they see that and, but they, so that they distrust it for the wrong reasons. Like they don't, they don't understand how the media lied to us about Iraq, you know? Yeah. Um, and on the other side of it, you have the neoliberals sort of embracing all these people and sort of saying, well, if the alt-right and Trump is saying CNN is fake news, then that means I like CNN or something. I mean, like, it just seems like a total knee-jerk reaction to me. Yeah. Um, and it's also interesting, too, that you see the knee-jerk reaction again from the other side, where I searched for John Bolton today on Twitter when I woke up just to see what people would be saying about it. And all the alt-right people who were talking about John Bolton who didn't, who weren't alarmed by it, because actually there were, I was actually surprised to see and happy to see a lot of Trump supporters were very upset about it. But a lot of them were saying things like, oh, CNN and MSNBC are freaking out about it. Then that means it's great. Then that's oh, all I need no. to know to know that I love John Bolton as being great. his national. It's like, whoa, dude, like that's your, that's how you judge things to see. So if Rachel Maddow and, and Jake Tapper are upset about something, then that means you think it's great. Like actually sometimes even shills like them can be upset about things for the right reasons. There's those rare moments where it's like, I was actually watching MSNBC last night and I was like, this is the first time I have agreed with their programming in years. Like that somehow they are on the same page as me for this like two hour window of time right after the yep, Bolton announcement was made. And I was like, there, that's really fascinating. That, it's like, obviously some things line up exactly um, in, a, in a way that can't be just explained all away by like, CNN's fake news, you know? Yeah. But in terms of the Iraq war anniversary, which is the 15th, uh, 15 year anniversary, um, happened a few days ago. Um, I read pieces by Matt Taibbi. I read pieces by Jeffrey St. Clair and counterpunch. I read a bunch of pieces by a bunch of people who are on the left, who lean left about what did we learn? You know, here's how they got us into the war. Look at all the lies they told. And I just started doing a control F for anthrax. And I know a lot of people think I'm obsessed with this, but I was honestly astonished that none of these people, even people who know about the attacks, didn't even include it into their anniversary pieces. And it's like, I get it that it's maybe like not, I mean, I don't, I I guess it just blows my mind because after learning that it was the only real event that the Bush administration latched onto to try to create this three-way connection between Saddam, 9-11, and Al-Qaeda. Looking back on it, like, it's, to me, it's, you can't omit it from the narrative of what happened without, you know, telling the full story. And I was just surprised a lot of these people just didn't mention it at all. Well, that's what they kept, all the Bush administration officials kept using anthrax. They would go on all of these TV shows, Letterman, John McCain, um, Colin Powell. I mean, they were specifically pointing to anthrax, specifically pointing to anthrax as the bioweapon in the laboratories for Saddam, the mobile weapons labs. I mean, so it is very relevant and there's a very bizarre 
conspicuous absence. Yeah. Even by the people who are, this. you know, like Lawrence Wilkerson, who has done some great work blowing the whistle and revealing things from his time inside the Bush administration. He helped Colin Powell write that speech where he held up the fake file anthrax. He doesn't even seem to want to talk about it or he or he doesn't know very much about what happened. I that's a whole that's a mystery to me. I feel like somebody should still ask him about that. Um but it is well, very I tried. notable. I tried to ask you him did. About it. And, 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 yeah, and his didn't. reaction was very, very odd. It was. Um, and uh, it's worth following up. But yeah, I mean, it, sh- it really bothers me how that just has been memory hold. And we're, we're just still repeating this narrative that D- Bush lied about WMDs. And yes, he did lie about WMDs, but that's sort of a murky, vaguer way of explaining what he actually did. Like you could talk, like we could talk about how he lied about yellow cake uranium and, you know, had someone out a CIA agent's wife or out someone's wife who was a CIA agent as punishment for blowing the whistle on that. We could talk about that. But see, the thing with that is there wasn't anything real to that. There wasn't like any nuclear materials being smuggled in the United States. However, there was anthrax being sent through the mail at the time. Right. So like you could poke and it's like they made a whole movie about the Valerie Plame thing. Like, five people died in the anthrax attacks, and no one gives a shit about it. It's just so strange to me. Without yeah, they're the like anthrax working attacks, class, people of color. Yeah, a 92-year-old woman got killed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if a 92-year-old woman got killed with a bioweapon manufactured by the Russian government? What the U.S. media would be saying about it right now? Oh, my they God. They would be going absolutely apeshit. Asking for the U.N. to go in there to do weapons inspections. It would be like almost full-on war. And also just the whole Bush lied about WNDs. I know that's like an easy way to just describe why it's a criminal invasion and, and illegal, but obviously that line of, you know, that rhetoric is is nonsense as well, because if Iraq did have WMDs, that is not a reason to invade and occupy a sovereign country and like completely kill it's know, a framing trap. millions of people. It's so weird how we're it like is. stuck yeah. in these framing traps. And then we don't talk about Afghanistan. Oh, of course. It's like, oh, the Iraq war was such a you know, crime against uh, against humanity. It's like, we are still fucking in Afghanistan. How? Yeah. What's the anniversary of the Afghanistan war? Because we have not left there. And guess what the hell is going on there? ISIS is somehow there now. The Taliban's winning. Like, like oh, but that was the good war, right? That was the, that was the smart war. It's, it's so nuts how Afghanistan is just left in the, on the back burner. And I really, truly believe, and I still f- strongly believe this, that it's because of racism and dehumanization that a lot of even the anti-war left doesn't pay much attention to Afghanistan. You know? Yeah. They're not as no, civilized. I, they're yeah. not as westernized as Iraqis. We don't see them as, like, equals. And I really feel like that's p- a lot of what's happening, it's, which is sad. I mean, Yemen seems to be getting way more attention than Afghanistan was when we started invading it. And while that's a horrible borderline genocide happening, that's that's weird to me. Like, I don't understand right. why Afghanistan just doesn't get that same level of attention. Um, but And it's, you know, we're still occupying it. So I, I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. It, it literally right. just seems like it's just going to be a permanent war until we manage to figure out a way to build a pipeline there. No, and it's so horrifying. Every day there's another suicide bombing. Just yesterday there was like a celebration of some cultural event and there was a fucking bomb that killed God knows how many people. It's just such an <clears throat> everyday activity there um, that you cannot leave your home and, you know, without something horrific happening 
Um, it's just a nightmare, a living hell there. Um, and, and again, what the hell is the U.S. doing there? Are they building the pipeline? Are they, you know, involved in some sort of drug yeah. trafficking? We know that they're spying and collecting the actual recordings of everyone who has a cell phone. So it goes on and on. And it even goes on and on in our culture. Like now when war movies come out about modern warfare, it's just always these like weird thrillers in Afghanistan, like heroic, you know, soldiers left in the middle of nowhere and they're like, they get ambushed. You know, Mark Wahlberg, like John Cena was just in a new movie about Afghanistan. It's just like the backdrop for just these like dumb popcorn action movies that make, interestingly, make all the Taliban look like Arabs, which I find kind of fascinating because most Taliban actually don't look that Arabic. They're very light skin. Um, a lot of the Northern Alliance, a lot of people in Afghanistan do not look Muslim, like do not look Arab. Painted them as the angry Arabs. The yeah, ho- the they look Hollywood like depiction. they're like, I mean, even some of them were wearing like eyeliner in this Mark Wahlberg movie to look like <laughs> old like Persian <laughs> villains out of like a fucking silent movie. I'm surprised they didn't slap turbans on him. No, they did too, of course. What? Yeah, because like, I mean, I think, you know, some, some Taliban, war- they're not yeah, turbans, but they're like weird head coverings or something. Um, but yeah, it was just, and of course there's like a Afghan villager who's like, come, we'll help you. Like we, we're your friend. And then like, a, you know, the kids like take care of them and stuff. And it's just garbage. Total yeah. Garbage. We love you. Yeah. You're helping us. We understand what you're doing. Well, that, that moves on perfectly to the, this defense department propaganda. That's been really bizarre. Actually first, you know, it was them saying, watch out for our hellfire missiles or whatever, showing like these giant flares and, um, look like fireworks like coming out of some. Plane. Oh, you mean that one that was like the John Carpenter yeah. music baseline, where it was like yeah. dun 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 dun. Yeah, and, and it, it showed was like, like it was like look at the angel spread. of death. It looked like a Vietnam style like carpet yeah. bombing spread, and I was like, yep. what and the it was fuck like here's the angel shit? of death. It was like fucking like napalm yeah. and like white phosphorus like spraying out of a plane, and it was like you don't want to be on the end of these puppies. I mean, I mean honestly, like not saying that before Trump the military wasn't disgusting, <laughs> but I honestly feel like. He has encouraged and sort of made them, you know, more excited to show off their shit. Um, Dude, in you, this way, you're totally right. More dick swinging. You know, am I this, right? This is not normal. I yeah, I mean, it not doesn't that seem. I'm it's not nor- <laughs> quote unquote normal. Like if it ever was normal. <laughs> totally normal propaganda. No, I mean before they were not this brazen <laughs> with like, here's how we kill people. I mean, yeah, they have the centcom. Like crazy, uh, like basically snuff videos of all the drone strikes and stuff. You can actually watch people actually getting killed um, through some of these drone cams on on the army and um, you know military's YouTube channels. But this is a new level of weirdness. This is them actually making these like really weird like cultural appropriation videos, like like a guy like dancing hip hop, like break dancing in between showing bombs covered with little shamrocks mm-hmm. did you see that for saying i absolutely saw it it looked yeah, almost yeah. like i'm trying to if if no one has seen it i almost like the best way to describe it in my mind would be like imagine like a cell phone game about the army that's themed with saint patrick's day where when you shoot <laughs> missiles out of your helicopter they're shamrocks <laughs> instead of missiles and the explosions are like green poofs of like Lucky Charms smoke. <laughs> it felt That's like you're what it like is. An adult Swim video or something. Right? It was really weird. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And it was just so surreal to see that the that they actually put together a video of like guys breakdancing and then mixed in with shamrocks being shot out from tanks and and 
guns. Were they like um, soldiers breakdancing? Because it's fun. Yeah, no, there's soldiers like like doing like a little breakdance and then and then flashing to the shamrocks being exploded out of tanks and planes. It was super fun. It was really, really fun. Great job, guys. Uh, happy St. Patrick's Day. I have something else to mention that's not as definitely not as crazy as that that disgusting video they posted, but I found this kind of interesting. Um, and this is going to sound kind of go over a lot of people's heads. What I'm about to say, but so in the 1980s, uh, there was a very sort of trademark sound and music that was dictated largely by the thing called FM synthesis. So like when you'd watch like Beverly Hills Cop or a lot of these like really 80s movies like um, Fletch. Uh, you know, a lot of the soundtracks were this very distinctive synthesizer sound, very metallic, very, very much uh, 80s. Like, it'll remind you of the yeah. 80s. Um, I literally saw, like, two U.S. Navy commercials playing on TV in a row that were using, like, 80s, like, retro 80s synthesizer <laughs> FM synth music. I saw you saying this, and I had no idea what the hell you were talking about. And I about. was just like, oh, my God, that's so weird because... Are they just trying to, like, evoke the 80s Cold War era again? It's nothing like running for class president, checking in with your friends online, or the first time you got behind the wheel. Out here, it's not where the sea takes you, but who it makes you. Start your journey at Navy.com. Like, I, I mean, I just, it didn't just seem like a stylistic choice. And I know that every once in a while, you know, everything from the past gets recycled into our culture and reused. And it's like, now this is cool again, you know, whatever. Like the music for Drive is very 80s, for example. However, I feel like what's happening now is a little bit different because we're also having like a cultural, like geopolitical revival of like the Cold War era at the same time. Yeah. And it just really creeps me out. I mean, we have all the iconography back. We yeah, have like the even Stranger back, Things. So why not bring back the music and the movies too? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean like Stranger Things. It. That wasn't like, yeah. I'm not saying that was propaganda, but it's like, why, what is that so resonant for people? Is it because we just all have this nostalgia for the 80s or is it because we're sort of like unconsciously repeating the 80s in like a really scary way, actually? Pre-prog, dude. Huh? Pre-prog. It's very weird to me, yeah. And I mean, even Ready Player One, you know, it's a movie all about 80s nostalgia and we're being bombarded by this i mean they're bringing back star wars you know they're bringing back everything from the 80s now they're bringing back roseanne they're bringing back full house um you why know i wouldn't be surprised would if they brought goodman back uh seinfeld roseanne. you uh, know why would john goodman do that with roseanne the money was probably too hard to resist you know that full house is apparently the most successful netflix show like by far uh what yeah Wow. Yeah, that's why that's why we're going to start seeing I think that's part of why the X-Files came back again. I think that's why Roseanne came back again. Um but yeah, Roseanne totally off the rails. The only thing I'm interested in seeing in the new Roseanne is that they apparently have both Beckys in the show. Oh, wow. Which is kind of like that would be funny if they wrote in some kind of like weird science fiction or like reason why they're both in the show. <laughs> like I wonder if Roseanne's going to Act like she's on drugs and talk about MKUltra, <laughs> though. <laughs> I I Damn, I bet dude. that she definitely probably got some kind of like personal trainer, like mental coach. They got to give her like a cortisone shot before every taping. Yeah, and right, I mean, I don't know like if you jugular. saw her on Norm Macdonald. Um, she said she was like feeling anxious, so Norm Macdonald found somebody on set to give her Xanax, and she just like took it during the interview. So wow, she's definitely a little bit of a. <laughs> 
pill popper on top of being a crazy Good Zionist God. who like yeah, flipped it, who used to like like you and even came on your show who like totally flipped on you when she realized you were anti-Zionist. Well, she became a really, really crazy like um, Zionist uh, anti-Palestinian woman who like cheers on the bombing of mm-hmm. kids and basically says some really, really crazy stuff. But she was a she was a progressive. I mean, remember she ran for the Peace and Freedom Party. She was like the, the was she the presidential candidate or like the governor? I forget. I think she ran for president. Um, yeah, no, it was it was her running for president because they're like making a whole documentary about Roseanne's run. I can't wait to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was progressive. So she turned into like this bizarre caricature of, her, of herself after she did that photo shoot uh, dressed as actual Hitler with burnt cookies. I mean, um, what's simulating interesting about Jews and ovens. So people and just this is just a side note. And it's not really like I'm not like I'm not praising Roseanne for this. But people forget that Roseanne, along with like the Simpsons, were two of the most like progressive shows on television at that time. Socially progressive. Um, to the point where they really, really infuriated conservatives and evangelicals from that era. Ann Coulter, one of her books, spends a long time talking about how The Simpsons and Roseanne was like li- like liberal propaganda and all this shit. That's hilarious. Well, I mean, Roseanne like kind of destroyed that stereotypical cookie cutter, like, you know, housewife image. Of course. Uh, yeah. She, like, and really... also like the, it was one of the first shows I remember that sort of normalized the ideas of like teens having sex. It wasn't like right. an after school special, like scary. It was like, oh, our kids are fucking. This is what this is what teenagers do. You know. And there was like a gay relationship on the on the show. With, oh, was uh, there? I don't remember I, that. I don't. Yeah, I think I think that there was a subplot yeah. of that as well. Um, and and also, yeah, two of the greatest actors of all time, Laurie Metcalf and John Goodman, I yeah. mean, came from that show. They're probably two. I mean, if I, I'm not saying they're two of my favorite actors of all time, but like I would say they're two of the greatest modern John actors Goodman, of all for time. Sure. You know? For sure. For um, sure. So, but let's but, go back to the let's go back to this crazy propaganda because what I was thinking, and and I, other people have obviously made this point, but it it was so interesting to me that the DOD is now coming out and saying, look at our amazing propaganda. You have the Oscars, which I am proud to say that I didn't watch because I couldn't give less of a fuck about award ceremonies, like lavishly rewarding celebrities about their fucking accomplishments. Um, I'm happy that Get Out won. I'm happy that The Shape of Water won. I really like that movie, Um, but I I really can't stand it. But it was really funny when the DOD on the day of the Oscars actually tweeted we work very closely with Hollywood. They're like, thank you, everyone watch the Oscars today. They're like, we work really closely with Hollywood to make sure that we're portrayed accurately, mm-hmm. that the military is portrayed well. Like just completely openly saying that they manipulate Hollywood, that they actively work with Hollywood and ensure that we are portrayed well in the movies. Uh, and and we've known about that for a long time. You did a podcast about it. We've been talking about National this for security, years and years. National Security Cinema, book by Matthew Alford and Tom Secker. I think it's required reading for anyone who has an interest in this subject. Um, it, it's, it reveals so much about the sort of back and forth relationship that these, that they have. I mean, um, you look at all these Marvel movies, for example, um, you know, uh, they have, I mean, like even the first one, Iron Man, was a anti-military industrial complex script before it passed through sort of the filters of them working with the DOD and getting it to the green light phase. Um, in the original screenplay, Tony Stark's father was the villain. 
and actually says to him at the end, when they have a conversation, he says that, um, and I'm paraphrasing, he says something like, this isn't about profits, Tony. This isn't about selling weapons to like both sides of a conflict. This is about establishing the order of the world. <laughs> so basically, uh, the, like the, the, the this military industrial complex Stark Industries guy, his father in the movie admits that he's like, he, he wants to help control the world and like guide, you know, Robert Kagan, neocon style, like control, like shape the world um, with like American hegemony or whatever. Um, but of course in the, the screenplay, they switched it to make it seem like it was just, he found out that it wasn't just, they were selling weapons to America. They were also selling weapons to the terrorists also. And that was bad. So he needed to stop that because the terrorists are bad. So that was sort of the compromise they made after it went to the DOD filtering. Instead of ultimately making the bad guy, like the bad thing wasn't that they were funding terrorists, that the, like the company guy himself was a terrorist. You know, it was just like evil oligarch. Um, and you just don't see that very much in movies anymore. I mean, you even in the 80s, you know, which such a propagandized Cold War era, you can find way more movies oh, back then that more. are like blatantly, brazenly anti-U.S. government. But but anyway, but it's yeah. like even even movies that are just super innocuous and don't have anything to do with the military, like Jurassic Park. When you told me how that that movie was changed, Jurassic you know, Park to, Three, yeah. Or like you know, really briefly that they the military was going to come in and kill the dinosaurs, <laughs> and then they, they thought that it made them look bad, so they took it out of the movie. Or Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, where one of the military vehicles was going to run into this village and like kill people, and then they changed it to a private contractor or a UN car or something. Yeah. Like a UN car. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's so many nuances within movies that you would never know were manipulated and changed by the actual military industrial complex. Like they are actively editing scripts, bribing people with like, um, you know, objects like, okay, you can use these uniforms or these, uh, Mm -hmm. these military vehicles. If you do this, if you do that, what I found just astounding was that they were boasting about it. I don't. Oh, I've never seen them boast about it. You're right. Can you imagine if like DPRK released some statement saying we're really proud to work with like our cinema um, to portray our country accurately? Everyone would be yeah. like, "You fucking propagandists! Like crazy totalitarian state! Oh Which, my god!" I mean, yeah, you know, no, it's so funny. It's. I mean, it goes along with what we've been saying for a while that it almost feels like the the our intelligence apparatus and our military are trying to normalize these things that we've always suspected they've done. So now they're like almost nakedly coming out with some of them, being like, "Yep, we do this." Like, hey, um, so nuts. And we, did you did you watch any of that movie made in uh, the North Korean or sorry, the South Korean movie Ape with me? No. It just just oh a yeah, total, no. You showed me some of it. Yeah, it was bizarre. It was very bizarre, and I don't know what the deal is with that. I know that Argo ended up being actually like made into something. Like they actually shot footage that CIA front movie. I don't know if you guys have checked out this movie, but go check it out. It's very bizarre. When I watch it, it seems like some kind of CIA joint, uh, a South Korean military front project, like for some kind of, <laughs> it's such a bizarre movie. They call it a Z movie on Wikipedia because it's like below B movie quality, like below Ed Wood level filmmaking. It's extremely expensive looking. It's shot in beautiful 3D. And there's a scene in it where over like a hundred South Korean military helicopters take off in this joint exercise staged for the movie. 
And I'm just thinking, watching it, like, what the fuck is this? Like, it's yeah, the so- whole thing was so low budget, but somehow they had like like consecutive like jets and helicopters yes, yes. that were all like super like expensive. Yeah, it was like something and, like, Michael troops. Bay would jizz his pants to get on film. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like. But then they had like a set, like a diorama made out of like toothpicks for the yeah, actual yeah, yeah. village. It's like, wait a minute, like uh, like no consistency. <laughs> yes. Anyways, yeah. No, but so, it's so funny that they would just come out with that and brag. And then, and then International Women's Day. I love how this this started off as like a class conscious, like actual workers solidarity um, movement, obviously a socialist roots. And now it's just been appropriated to where Raytheon and Monsanto are like, we love the women mm-hmm. CEOs and board members at our at our corporation, or like IDF soldiers are like, celebrate women. The, celebrate the, women today it's like this is not what this was raytheon has been like really pumping this angle recently they've done outreach uh things with the girl scouts associated of, association of america me? excuse um, me yeah so i've been tweeting about this for <laughs> for like a month or so so right yeah raytheon's been promoting that they've been promoting native american women workshops oh um, nice How sweet and uh and also uh cnas which previous to the Alliance for Securing Democracy was sort of the first DC think tank that really had like the neocons and neoliberals joining forces. Julia Smith, Victoria Newland, Eric Edelman, Robert Kagan. You look at the website, tons of people, faces you'll recognize. Um, now they're very much playing heavy-handedly with this idea of like women uh, foreign policy people. And they, they're now almost all their stuff that you'll see them tweet out is about how they have these like strong female voices at their think tank. And Victoria Newland is now the president of their think tank. That's what her new job is. Yeah, I started trolling them on International Women's Day because they were just posting a bunch of photos of them, like with all those neocon warmonger women in their think tank, who I tweeted to try to say I was a misogynist for pointing it out. She was and like, was, "Oh, I'm. What are you doing?" She's like, "I'm just sitting here getting trolled by some guy who yeah, makes documentaries in his basement." It's like, like no, you're literally fronting like a neocon warmongering yeah. think tank, like. This isn't about gender, you yeah. dumbass. Just thought that was strange. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's it is because they always just make it about. It was just so funny that she made it about like that you were like sexist. Of she course, like, well that's that's it's just like a bro. Yeah, so I guess that's going to be their shield from now on. If they go yeah. out there and say like we need to bomb another country, it's like yeah. no, actually that's really uh, dangerous. They'll be like you're a you're a sexist. I mean you're I don't sexist. know what they're going to say, but you misogynist. Yeah. Um. Really quickly, got to give a shout out to <clears throat> Adrian Lamo's ghost. <laughs> uh, Adrian Lamo dead as a doornail. I don't know how he died. I, I haven't actually found out how. I'm assuming it was drugs because how could you, you know, drop dead at like 30 yeah, or suicide, I think, or suicide. But mm-hmm. um, I didn't see much love for him getting getting passed around the net. No, but uh, I don't think it's too soon to say that. He was a piece of shit snitch who, um, you know, I would I would not want to go out of this world with my best known attribute or like contribution being a snitch and like putting someone in prison for exposing war crimes and, and et cetera. Of so course. really I unfortunate that that was his be... legacy. Really unfortunate legacy. It is really unfortunate. And I don't really know what he did before this that was like notable or interesting. I mean... Like, if I'm going to be honest, I think a lot of these hackers are just like narcissistic little bitches most of the time. Like, I don't really, I don't really see them as revolutionary figures at all. And I don't understand how that sort of became this trend 
where like we're supposed to see people who have ha- like done like hacktivism as like the ultimate badasses. Like, I do not, I do not share that point of view at all. Like, well, I especially so when not they're not doing there. like hacktivism. He was like not. He was like just. I think he was just doing like regular hacking for yeah his own yeah benefit. And then Ed Barrett Brown even said that he. Tried to get, I don't know, Adrian oh, yeah, did Brown something said against that he Barrett Brown. To snitch on him for something else. I mean, Barrett Brown is honestly probably one of the only one of these hacktivist guys that I have respect for because he seems like he's got a lot of his own opinions. He's very opinionated. I don't agree with him on certain things. He, he focuses a little too much on the Russia thing, you know, the Russia situation right now. But he speaks his mind. He's got a lot of problems with Julian Assange. You know, I like some of the things Lori Love has to say. I like some of the things some of these hackers say. Uh, Aaron Schwartz. I mean, some of these people I do have a lot of respect for. But, you know, just because you're a hacktivist or you're a hacker, you don't deserve, like, any sort of, like, badass points for that at all, really. I mean, in fact, I would almost argue that if you have that much computer skills and programming ability and you're not doing something, like, greater than yourself on some level, and you're just turning in people or helping a corporation test their security, then you're kind of a worthless human being. Like yeah, you're and not, I'm gonna, you're not, I, you don't deserve respect. Well, and that's what's so weird about this Cambridge Analytica guy, which we're going to get into in the next podcast, but I don't know why he's being painted as like this hero. It's actually really gross. Oh, that pink haired guy? he <laughs> was literally programming the entire thing he's the one who created the algorithm for the hyper personalization like psycho analysis of these these profiles yeah it's kind of like like what bill binney did except i still have a a lot of i still have respect for bill binney no but it's different because he literally he worked he he was working hand in glove with bannon and mercer like like hand in glove like he wasn't just like out in canada at some like office like he was going around with them interesting working with them well give me the lay of the land on 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 this do you want to go into that now or should we talk no 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 no. we're gonna get into it later but everyone check out the next podcast we're gonna get into cambridge analytica i guess i just wanted to say i don't see this guy as a hero for coming out and whistleblowing about this like five years after he is working with these people and knows that it's way beyond a data mining company. It's literally like an intelligence, private intelligence firm that foments regime change around the world. So again, painting these people as like heroes. I do think Snowden is a hero for, for doing what he did. I do think that Chelsea Manning is a hero for doing what she did. And I, I do have mad respect for Barrett Brown and Aaron Swartz, but yeah, uh, just, just coming out and just talking about this, like this Cambridge Analytica guy, I don't, I don't have respect for that because he helped do it. It's like, it's kind of too little too late. Plus you're not actually talking about the extent of the operations that the company is doing. Yeah. Adrian Lamo, um, honestly, the world's a better place without him. I know that people might be offended by that, but I'm not, I'm not in the camp where I think that, you know, it's too soon to to talk about the true legacy of people who pass. No. Um, and any so. of these people, hacktivists slash journalists out there who tried to normalize Adrian Lamo and make excuses for him, you know who you are. You know that you're also kind of a piece of shit. And suspiciously, one of the main guys who was the one who gave Adrian Lamo all this press and selectively leaked, only not leaked, selectively only published the transcripts that made Adrian Lamo look the best for Wired Magazine. Coincidentally, he's the one coming out with the final proof from all from anonymous sources, murkiest sourcing I've ever fucking seen in one of these recent Russia articles, saying that he has proof that Guchver 2 is one single specific GRU Russian intelligence agent. Wow. And uh, 
Yeah. So I remember these things when these Good. these phony motherfuckers who promote Adrian Lamo and make excuses for him come out years later with stories like that with extremely murky sourcing. So maybe a regular individual doesn't know who Spencer Ackerman was might just trust that murky sourcing and be like, oh yeah, this is a, this is totally real. But I mean, on top of the fact that there's murky sourcing that I know that we, he has this legacy of like propping up Lamo, this motherfucker can't be trusted at all. No, there's so many people like that, Robbie, especially with the Crimea thing, how I got lambasted and, you know, smeared by all these journalists, like seeing them now, the trajectory of who these people are, it's the same players oh, yeah. that constantly get recycled. And they're the ones who are really like every time I see a movie preview and it's like astonishing, brilliant. It's like Wired Magazine. I'm like, this is probably fucking Josh Rogan. Like, I don't trust any. This is what you're just pulling quotes from like these asshole journalists in DC who just say something about the movie. And you're using that to build some whole mask about, oh, the movie's brilliant because Josh Rogan from Bloomberg says it's great. It's just so funny. It's like these are nobodies who have no legitimacy, you know? And we, we've been following them for years and years, but somehow they just just keep going. Well, it's, I mean, just in, just going to movie reviews a little quick, really quick. <laughs> we know that, I mean, it's just since Rotten Tomatoes took over, like, it's just so blatantly, like, not, act, like, useful. I mean, like, for example, like, when I, I remember, you know, Iron Man, I mentioned it again, got, like, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. And, like, you go back and watch that movie now, and it's just kind of a schlocky uh, mess. It's not a good movie. I'm sorry. Like, it's kind of a mess. And the fact that it actually managed to launch the Marvel Cinematic Universe is kind of a miracle that such a shitty movie got that much overhype at 97% of Rotten Tomatoes and managed to launch this whole franchise kind of makes you wonder if this multi-billion dollar corporation had something to do with that high rating. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like exactly. Disney keeps growing and growing. And hey, isn't it weird that all the Marvel movies have never gone below like Rotten? How is that? Are they all fresh? Are they all that good? No. Or like the the Last Jedi, like the Scott the score, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes was the one of the lowest audience to critic scores they had ever seen. Black Panther too, like I'm I I, I just do not believe that that the movie deserves a ninety eight percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. No, and and well, they even said that they were going to be editing the rating. Oh yeah, they they were they were removing negative user reviews of the Black Panther because they thought it was like a racist troll campaign, and maybe it was. But at the same time, like, just this mentality of, like, not allowing negative reviews or trying to, like, stifle them or trying to Like Hillary's people. book on Amazon. Remember Hillary's book on Amazon? How they were like, you know what? We're actually going to remove these. It's yes. Like, well, yes. Since when is that allowed? And I do think that a lot of these people have scrubbed the internet, too. Like, we already know that Bush's naked bathtub paintings, you can't find them. Are you um, kidding Oh, it's really hard. You can't find like a high res version of those anymore. Interesting. There's there's several things that I that you that these people have scrubbed off the internet. But have you ever thought of when you see movie previews and you see like just these random quotes from like publications, knowing who these journalists are? Isn't do you ever think that that's funny? You're like, who the hell is even writing this? <laughs> oh yeah, and and actually, especially now that the Me Too <laughs> after the Me Too movement, a lot of these very popular movie reviewers who got a lot of their pull quotes on these movie trailers were outed for sexual assault. Devin Faraci, um, uh, one of the most prominent sort of nerdy movie reviewers ever, got uh, outed for uh, sticking his fingers in between some girl's legs at a party 
and then uh, being outed for it on Twitter, he resigned soon after. Harry Knowles from Ain't It Cool News is one of the most quoted, like, nerd film reviewers. He got outed for uh, a history of, of sexual abuse and harassment um, at the Alamo Draft House in, in Austin. Um, and then another guy uh, from Screen Junkies News, um, one of the guys who oh, was yeah, part of every guy. single Honest Trailer. The Honest Trailer, seen. yeah. He helped honest write every trailer. single one, um, was outed for... Uh, sexual harassment of his own employees and he's no longer at screen junkies so yeah just that alone it's like how many of these like nerdy like i'm a sad sack like i'm just like a fat guy and i'm a nerd who you know like movie reviewers who like are actually just like rapists i'm a nerd who jerks off in potted plants Um, and doesn't let women leave the room total tangent i just went on uh so let's move on to the latest police shooting um, there's not too much to say about this because we've just, I mean, really, what can you say about how sadistic these police are? But I, I, there is an interesting angle that Mike was bringing up. First, I'll just say what happened. Don't watch the video. It's, it's horrifying. I mean, once again, African-American guy, it's at night. Two there's cops two videos, got a call. By the way. Oh, really? I didn't see the second one. Two cops get a call of someone in the area, a suspicious figure or whatever. They're trying to find this guy. They see, of course, African-American guy fits fits the description of a suspicious character. So they just start chasing him completely like black. They can't see that this guy has a gun. Right. But of course, they pretend that he does. They shoot him. They unload 20 rounds into him. Of course. They literally are just like. He's a gun, he's a gun, he's a gun. And they just shoot him 10 times each. The guy is laying on the ground dead, dead. For five minutes, they just keep talking to him like in their walkies. They're like, dude, they're like, dude, you got hit. You got hit like to each other, knowing that there was no gunshots whatsoever coming in their direction. They just tried to probably say it for the camera so they could be like, okay, like we need to make sure that we, you know, feared for our lives and thought this guy had a gun. They're literally screaming at him. Show me your hands. Show me your hands. For five minutes, they're like, we can't come over there. We need to see your hands. We need to see your hands. We need to make sure you don't have a weapon. It's like, he's fucking dead. He's been dead for five minutes, dude. He's dead. That is actually, Mike brought up, that is actually a violation of the Geneva Conventions. If you're like at war and you shoot or maim someone, you are obligated under international law to provide medical attention to actually try to help someone because well, that's, that's it. Course, They're on the yeah. ground. I mean, um, so these cops are just sadistic criminals who just execute people on a whim yeah. um, and then just leave them bleeding out for, for up to fucking a half hour until the ambulance comes. And then they're like, of course. Oh, and then they lied. Of course they were like, he has a gun. Then they said he had a crowbar. Cause yeah, a crowbar looks like a gun. And then it came out that, uh, no, we just had a phone in his hand. Yeah, and he was probably heard police activity. He probably was just gonna like maybe even film. What he probably was had weed on him or something. I mean, who the hell knows what? Who? Why someone doesn't run toward the cops when you know what I mean, or runs away from the cops? Who knows? Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's so it's so fucking sad. Um, and and just to Mike's point, I mean, yeah, of course the Geneva Conventions, you know, are technically supposed to, you know have it so that soldiers treat people humanely and stuff. Um, but we know the other side of that story, which is just like, you know, the rules of engagement are just pr- almost like non-existent in some of these battle zones to the point where there's actually Navy SEALs in Afghanistan and Iraq who had thousands of photos on their phones that they would share 
of like brutal snuff photos of bodies that they had desecrated after they had killed them in a specific way, a term that was passed around this special Navy SEAL uh, group called canoeing. And um, basically what it means is you point a gun directly in between someone's eyes, um, either before they're dead or afterwards, and blow their head in half and then take a picture of it. So if you've, if you've read the uh, book Watchmen, um, remember the part where Rorschach, it sort of shows like a Rorschach image and then it fades into like the split dog's head um, in Watchmen? It's basically like that. So imagine Navy SEALs passing around thousands of photographs of what they called canoed heads as like trophies, basically. Um, so I just, I just actually read that yesterday and I was just like, holy fuck, like we we're just so fucked. <laughs> like if people knew the half of what we actually do over there. Yeah, and then the cop, by the way, this guy was named Stephen Clark. Um, they handcuff his dead body, and they knew it was, he, was, he was dead because they said, we're going to handcuff the body. Um, I mean, why? why? These people are just like robots. They were like, we can't help you unless you say something, like, like actually pretending like he was alive after shooting him 20 times. So surreal. It was all about officer safety. All All about about officer officer safety. safety. Mm -hmm. They don't care Mm -hmm. about anything else. It's it's insane. I mean, and it's just getting worse because, like you said, the the military is now emboldened to boast about how much they are part of the propaganda apparatus and how great they are. Right? They're mm -hmm. doing this military parade, which is going to cost up to like fifty million dollars. Can feed every can actually house every homeless veteran. and yeah, I mean, just of course, soldiers don't subscribe to the Geneva Conventions. They're, you know, we're doing God knows how many war crimes daily around the world. But just the fact that police here at home <clears throat> just do this, you know, and, and, and just blatant disregard for, for human life, for civility, for the rule of law, knowing that they can just get away with it. Well, what's so crazy is like, even with this many cameras going yeah. right now, that they're still acting this way. And yeah. it's not just, it's a, yes, some of these individual officers are sociopaths. That's clear. Right. But there's a bigger problem obviously happening where it's like the system and the structure in which they're taught and they're instructed to act a certain way, to me, needs to be fundamentally changed. Like police, if they're allowed to carry guns, they need to have a primary like level of training to shoot but not to kill. That's like not even in their training. They always shoot to kill. Right. That in and of itself is a huge problem. That like police shoot don't, kill, yeah. do, they don't have training to like shoot to disarm or shoot to disable. It's always just like shoot to kill because there's always a chance that that person could pull out a weapon or do something, you know? So it's all about officer safety. It's just interesting too that with all these cameras in the back of cop cars, body cameras, that they'll just still say crazy shit. Like I was telling you about that sheriff who's told people over the radio to shoot to kill that drunk driver who wasn't. Yeah, tell him that story really quick. That's really disturbing. Yeah, basically what happened is they left the body cameras running. The cop, one of the cops involved in shooting this guy who shot and killed him, started like crying and it was really distraught. Because see, not all cops are sociopaths. Even though this cop is a real piece of shit for doing what he did. Um, he still had a human emotional reaction to it. Now, when he walked up to his like commanding officer, the guy who instructed him to shoot to kill over the radio, he's like, what's the matter, man? He's like, it's on me, man. 
Don't worry about it, man. Relax, man. It's fine. Don't don't worry about it, man. You're totally within the right your rights, man. And then this same commanding officer on the way back to the station is openly bragging for like 10 to 20 minutes about how, and he literally says this, man, I live for this. Man, I live for I live like for this. killing people. He man. lives for shooting an unarmed man in the head and, mur- and just killing him. Live for it, dude. That's like, that's like the guy who was in charge of the rest of the cops in this sh- sheriff's office. And that's just like, wow, you knew, you like remembered there's tapes running. And then I just watched something where um, a black kindergarten teacher, female kindergarten teacher, was arrested for speeding in Texas, I believe. I may, may have the, the state wrong. And this happened like three or four years ago. And this actually went viral a little bit. Um, she was arrested for speeding and she got really like upset, didn't resist arrest at all physically, but was like crying and like saying like, what did I, like, are you arresting me? Like, why are you handcuffing me? And um, she was so distraught that the cop basically said that she's being arrested and taken to jail for speeding. And she's like, How? I don't understand. You can take me to jail for speeding? Like, that's not, you can't do that. And he's like, yes, we can. Actually, we're allowed to take anyone in for any traffic violation. She's like, but why me? <laughs> and then on the way back, she started trying to have this really down-to-earth conversation with the cop who was driving while her hands were cuffed in the back seat, where she's like, do you agree that there's racism against black people still? Like, and he's like, yes, I do. And she's like, do you think the cops are racist against black people? And he's like, no, I don't. And she's like, but let me ask you this. It goes, it goes the other way too, doesn't it? And she's like, yes, I think it does. She's like, I think, I think there's race. I think there could be racism going the other way. And she, and he's like, and you know, he's like, you know what it really comes down to? And she's like, what? And he's like, black propensity for violence. Oh my God. And he's like, he's like, I can't prove it. Oh my God. I don't know it for, to be scientifically true, but I got to tell you, my experience, they have a really big problem with violence. Oh my, right after he said racism yeah. exists, but he's not racist and that cops aren't racist, but so, black people have a propensity for violence. Great. So here's the thing. It wouldn't be too out of the question to imagine that almost every cop in active service right now buys into, to some degree, that idea that blacks have like a greater propensity towards violence or they're indoctrinated on some level. Like, you know, the conservative propaganda that your grandpa or grandma digests and just like regurgitates out to you. Yeah. There's probably cops in metropolitan, like liberal areas of this country who believe that shit. Absolutely. So think about that. Like that's like, it just blows my mind that people could sit there and say, there's not racism, like even just systematic racism among like police. Well, country. we've all been indoctrinated since birth uh, to think that black people have a propensity for violence. It's like it's so in, ingrained um, in our society in almost every way. So, yeah, I mean, and, and because these idiots just seriously, I don't know. I mean, that that's stunning to me that metropolitan police officers would be so dumb to think that. But it's actually not because so many people are so dumb that they think that and... Trump is president and he thinks that. So I think it's just a lot of people, a lot of people that we know who are from Pleasanton believe that. Um, in the Bay Area, they have access to, to you know, um, progressive thought, progressive people, and they still are seeped in this like completely absurd cartoonish depiction of what, uh, you know, 
they think that we live in a post-racial society because Obama won. Oh, Obama's who ruined race relations in this country, Robbie. That's the argument. Obama's the one who actually ruined them. It's an interesting argument, actually. Um, and then there's the, there's the Iranian Bijan Geyser. I was supposed to talk about him in the last podcast. He's an Iranian guy, a Buddhist, very nice, peace-loving, peace-loving um, community member of... I want to say Arlington, actually Fairfax County. And his family reached out to me and just said, you know, he was also killed by police and the video came out and it's just inexplicable. I mean, he, there's a fender bender on one of these roads and he drives away. Um, and I don't know why he drove away and that's not a reason to chase him down and execute him. And that's exactly what police did. They chased his vehicle um, and they ran out of their car with guns drawn and he drove away again probably thinking oh my god they're gonna kill me and then that's exactly what they did the next time he he finally did pull over and then they they had their guns drawn um were trying to break through the window and then they just executed him it, it you know came out later he had no weapon whatsoever um his crime was simply driving away from a fender bender um it's just absolutely stunning. There's no accountability whatsoever for the police who did this. And his family is just remains in shock. How did they lose their son? They have no answers and they never will. Um, because it's just such a daily occurrence. Now I actually know two people who have my friend Apollo from college. His twin brother was executed by police um, in, in the news last year because his brother was having a mental episode and had a pencil in his hand or something. Or no, an, an e-cig. And the cops came and executed him. So that, you know, it's just, it's getting to the point of, um, I don't know, when we, you know, when it's just really personal. But um, <clears throat> let's move on to Stormy Daniels really quickly. Was there anything else that you wanted to say about about her other than what we already know, which is, you know, she had an affair with Trump. He ran around the room, slapped her ass with a Fortune magazine. He paid her off, gave her this NDA. She got a huge sum of money, and now she's coming out saying that she wants to discard the NDA and actually tell her story. They've tried to kill off the interview on 60 Minutes several times um, because, of course, they don't want this to come out. And then her lawyer says that she might have a dick pic of Trump. So it's it's a dystopian hellhole that we're did living he, in where we could actually see a dick pic of Trump. Did he? Okay, because I only saw the Claude, <laughs> the Claude Taylor tweet about it. So no, I didn't, I I didn't actually see the clip. Do you know what he actually said? I don't. But okay. I, my thing is, even if this guy is a discredited shill, which he probably is, my point of just saying how insane this is, is the fact that we're even talking about this is, a, well, of course. is just stunning. Of course. We're talking about the president having an affair with a porn star who might actually have pictures of his dick. And what if... <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's just like, this is our world. It's really fascinating. I mean, and like I was saying a few episodes ago, I mean, he's a billionaire. Like, to think that... I mean, I almost feel like you'd have to be naive to think that a multimillionaire or billionaire who's like... A multimillionaire, like someone who's like worth over $100 million, wouldn't be into hiring prostitutes or even like buying renting porn stars i mean you know it just seems like it goes along with the territory to me of being like a crazy indulgent rich person who just doesn't have like a uh, really a hobby or a, something a passion in life or something you know um i mean even someone like elliot spitzer who's not even that rich was spending like three thousand dollars a pop 
on prostitutes, like really high end prostitutes. So, um, it's, it's great though, that she might cause more damage to him in a sense than any of this like Russia investigation. If, if they don't find anything seriously incriminating in it. Um, and that's interesting. I just like, that's just totally came out of left field for me. I didn't expect that something like that could like disrupt his presidency so much. I mean, it does seem like Trump is having a meltdown about things in general, about what's coming towards him right now. And just going back to the Mueller investigation for a second, I watched Fox News last night to see if they would talk about Bolton. They didn't at all while I was watching (laughs) after they announced it. Watched the Laura Ingram show and then like another show back to back. And I was actually quite surprised that they were, they all seemed very, very concerned at Trump testifying to Robert Mueller, like going and, and answering questions. And they were like, they should be. Cause that's the, that's how he's going to get impeached. I know. If he lies I was like, oath. Oh my God. Like I didn't realize like how close this was to potential impeachment. Like already, like that they're all like, don't do this. Is he going to, they were playing clips last night where he said he's thinking <laughs> about it and he wants to. And they were like, Oh my God, I, we hope that he's going to like renege on this. And Alan Dershowitz was like, he better not do this. It has to be really limited if he does this. Like, it's a really bad idea. Um, And you could tell even this new lawyer that Trump is thinking of hiring, this, like, weird charlatan TV lawyer. I'm not even talking about the televangelist lawyer. This guy's even weirder and, like, worse. They were even concerned about him. Um, So that's an interesting sign of where things are going right now. That Oh, and Ann Coulter, did she, what she just tweeted today? She it, It was like Trump was like, I don't know if I'm going to like veto this bill yet. I'm thinking about it, blah, 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 blah. And then, and then Ann Coulter just responded like, we won't be able to do shit if you're impeached, like if you get impeached, like after the weekend or something, (laughs) (laughs) something like that. And I'm just like, oh my God, like they're even going there now. Like this is actually, I guess I just sort of got desensitized to the idea that anything could take down Trump. And now to see the Fox News Republicans sort of like with this palpable anxiety, I'm like, ooh, this is actually getting closer than I thought. Um, so what's funny is that all Fox news and all these people saying, you know, it's really great that Trump is meeting with North Korea. Let me back up. Um, Trump after, you know, belligerently threatening genocidal actions against North Korea for months, him and his entire administration, which we've covered. He all of a sudden was like, okay, I'm going to meet with Kim Jong-un. And everyone was like, oh my God. Like Rachel Maddow did a whole piece about how like, there's a reason why no U.S. leader has ever met with this madman because we don't legitimize dictators. Oh no, we only fund them egregiously, prop them up, kill their opponents, um, lavishly reward them. No, that's what we do with dictators. Um, But it was just so disgusting to see liberals, Democrats jumping on him saying, this is horrible. How dare you meet with Kim Jong-un? What? So you'd rather w- go with the genocidal threats? You'd rather go with dick waving on Twitter? Like the whole thing was just outlandish. I'm like, finally, this is great. And I'm not giving Trump credit. He was forced into the talks because President Moon Jae-in, the South Korean president, went behind the back of the administration and all of this genocidal rhetoric and actually reached out and tried to start talks. And so Trump was pulled in. Trump was pulled in not to his own, um, you know, it was, it was, it was basically he was forced to. Um, yeah. So this, it, it was almost, who knows, it might have been because 
he was he was so off the rails that the president was just like, man, we have to do something now because this could go down a very scary path. Well, and so and and if what you just said is true, the neocons will can eventually spin that as, look, the big stick approach worked. Right, 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 right. That's what's so weird about how it's like they they can still spin this to their advantage. I know, even though they're like acting like they're concerned like what's just weird is like all these cnas people richard haas for example who's the president of the council on foreign relations as we were recording this they they just tweeted both of them that they're like terrified at john bolton we're like at the most dangerous point we've ever been in like the world like the modern world history and it's just like and then at the end of the richard haas tweet he's like we need to all like blame ourselves for this or something like this isn't the fault of the trump administration it's like really or do you mean like literally yourselves or like all all Americans? Right, because right, right. It yeah. was you fucking guys right. <laughs> who egged this all these motherfucking things on, and now you're pulling back when it's too late. It's just so I just don't under, know what to make of it because ultimately it doesn't matter. I mean, like there'll be so many. It'll be a fire sale if we attack North Korea. War makes money for somebody. You know, and these things are right at home with war. So it's all phony. It's all such an irresponsible reproach and really um, disturbing for people to actually spin that as like a good thing. Be like, well, Trump, it worked, didn't it? It's like, that's not what we should be doing. This didn't. And and plus, it hasn't worked yet. We're actually just waiting with bated breath to see if Trump shows up and doesn't take his dick out in the meeting. Basically, it's all the South Korean leaders fault. This is all his fault. He made this happen. He reached out to Kim Jong-un. No thanks to the U.S. No thanks to anything that we've done. No. And, you know, everyone was talking about how they were trying to spin the firing of Rex Tillerson as it was because Rex Tillerson um, didn't echo the Trump line on the, on the, um, the U.K. poisoning incident about Russia. But, you know, what if it had to do with North Korea? What, what if this is because Rex Tillerson... Um, was still not wanting to take that really big stick approach with North Korea. And he they just couldn't see eye to eye. And then Trump is like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to put in Bolton, exactly. replace McMaster with Bolton, and then see how you like it then. And and then yeah. Tillerson was just like, oh, my God, no, I can't. Like, that's not going to work for me. But it was just, it's so perplexing that people are actually trying to argue that diplomacy is bad, that we should just ignore North Korea, that no, that Trump meeting with this leader and talking with people will be bad. And, and it's just better for him to just sit on Twitter and, and say all these crazy things. I mean, the partisanship is so, has gotten to the level of just nonsense where it just doesn't even make any sense at all. Like people's arguments about why, why diplomacy is bad in this case. Well, it's just, I think Rachel Maddow is just such a great example of what you're talking about right now because you saw, did you saw her clip where she was yeah. like guffawing and mocking this idea yeah. of diplomacy with North Korea mm-hmm. and saying like, no other president's ever done this and there's a reason why. It's like, what are you actually saying? You right. don't want us to have right. a diplomacy with North Korea? Like, yeah, what's It's outrageous fuck? that no leader has ever done this, Rachel. It's actually I mean, outrageous. It's, I'm not saying that Trump deserves credit for this. But like their no knee jerkery, their blinding like hatred for everything that he does that they won't even want that is just so revealing. And then to have her talking about John Bolton and then bringing on guess who to talk about John Bolton, Adam Schiff and John Michael Brennan. McFall. 
Oh, great. Well, yeah. I mean, she might as well have brought on John Brennan. I mean, it was just, <laughs> would have been just as bad. So it's like, so she's still at it. She still has the same same guests who would be normally talking about Russiagate or talking about Bolton happened to be that night. And I just found that interesting because she probably already had them booked, right? Talking about Mueller and Russia. <laughs> and let's close out this podcast by talking about John Bolton um, before we get on to the next podcast. Um, John Bolton, I mean, look, he's he's pretty much the worst pick possible. He's the craziest neocon outlier from the Bush administration. He, should, we give, um, should we give just a little bit of backstory really quick on exactly the the musical chairs that have just happened? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So about a week ago, Pompeo uh, left the CIA after being in that position for less than a year and moved to Secretary of State because Trump fired Rex Tillerson, fired him. He Trump wanted people to know he fired him. In the middle of like a tour in Africa. And apparently something. this is what John Kelly told a room full of reporters, not even off the record. John Kelly wanted to even further humiliate Rick Tillerson by saying, guess what, guys? Trump told Rex Tillerson, got the news to Rex Tillerson while he was on the toilet in Africa suffering from like a bout of diarrhea <laughs> for like three hours straight, shitting his Bad brains day. out. So that's just weird. I mean, that like that's not even funny to mention that to a group of reporters. It's just like, why would they... What is happening in that administration? Right. They're, in, they're nuts. So after Rex Tillerson left, Pompeo took his slot. Pompeo is now Secretary of State. This woman named Gina Haspel, who apparently was involved in the torture of Abu Zabdia, is now taking over the CIA, who has direct involvement in the CIA torture program. Yeah, and really quickly, John Kariaku, her former colleague, when you know the torture whistleblower said that she knew torture didn't work and she did it because she liked it. She enjoyed torturing people because she's a sadist. Yeah. And I just thought it was fascinating that on Fox News, when Rand Paul brought this up, like he was using some of John Kiriakou's points on Fox News, their rebuttal was, but wasn't she just following orders? That's the best. Well, they told her to. So what was she supposed to do? Yeah. So that I just thought that was really interesting. And then later they tried to claim that it was disinfo that she had anything to do with the torture. And they were only selectively honing in on sort of like one slightly distorted statement, but not like addressing the other proof that she was involved in like the torture program. So, you know, there that's that was the more intellectual deflection from her being a torturer. Because Bill Crystal loves Gina Haspel and Mike Pompeo. You know, like the neo this is the thing, the neocons love everybody else, but now they're acting like John Bolton is scary. So I I, I mean, but anyways, McMaster was eventually let go as Trump's national security advisor and replaced with John Bolton, one of the scariest, most dangerous neoconservatives in the United States, period. I mean, I would put him maybe even in a more, like above Michael Ledeen and Richard Pearl. And I would put Bill Crystal and Robert Kagan somewhere below even them. Yeah, because he's like beyond even... He's like the, you know, the real Bush era neocon where it's just balls to the wall, cowboy diplomacy. Cowboy diplomacy like, all the way. No humanitarianism whatsoever. No regard for human life. That's not on his periphery at all. No. And, and, and actually, if you think about it, what you just said is kind of like a match made in hell with Trump. Because Trump right. was, let's bomb them, the shit out of them, but no nation building. So it's like more right. transparent... Uh, neoconservatism without the pretty layer 
acting like they care about people. Um, so that's really, it's like, I guess we could have seen this coming years ago, really. I mean, because of, out of all the neocons who are still young enough, I mean, Michael Ledeen seems like he's about to croak. Um, Bolton is probably the mo- one that fits the best with Trump's mindset. Well, we were just, I guess I, after he didn't initially get in the cabinet, we, we breathed a collective sigh of relief because we were like, oh my God, at least, at least Bolton yeah. is not getting in. At least he's not getting in. We knew that he was kind of working around, you know, working around Trump and still in his ear. But this is just, it's a slap in the face and it is, uh, it, it should be a wake up call to everyone um, that all of these things are possible, that World War Three is closer than ever before. And if I hear anyone fucking trying to say that Trump is an anti-interventionist, and anti-war, I'm going to slap them in the face. You sound like Jordan Peterson. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's so... Slap them in the face. Individualism is gone. <laughs> we can't be individuals anymore. Mike Cernovich ran a no. poll yesterday that had over 5,000 responses where the question was, are you pleased, generally pleased with the appointment of John Bolton? Over 50% of his audience on Twitter said yes, and only 25% said no. All and the right. rest were like undecided. All right, anti-war, dude. Um, only like one or two of these charlatans from the alt-right are actually like being honest about what it is right now. Oh and of God. course, the ones who don't want to comment on it are just not saying anything. And right. I've actually noticed an interesting omission from certain YouTube progressives who say they're progressives about it, who actually didn't mention it at all yesterday. And we're instead just talking about Mueller and other shit. And it's like, wow. So you wow. are kind of, you are really planting one foot in each thing, trying to get maintain that MAGA, you know, progressive, disaffected progressive audience. And that's really disgusting. Well, this is, I mean, it's just the most blatant propaganda I've ever heard. And, and among the most genocidal, crazed rhetoric, it's actually stunning that he was able to publish these articles in major publications. Um Two months ago, just two months ago, guys, he wrote the legal case for striking North Korea first. Actually, the Wall tried Street to, Journal. Uh, yeah, actually tried to make some sort of bizarre legal case, like John. Which is a New Rupert style. Murdoch owned. It's a Murdoch uh, News Corp owned newspaper. Yeah, sorry, not continue. surprising. Um, yeah, so it's just John Bolton uh, pontificating about why we need to do an, a preemptive military strike on North Korea. Just out clear as day in the Wall Street Journal, just, you know, propped up there as a normal person with, with beliefs that we should be taking seriously. So this is what he just wrote two months ago. And then, I mean, his real, the real big prize we know is Iran. So it's like, okay, what's going to come first, the Iran war or yes. the North Korea war? Um, well, because the, the one about Iran is real crazy. Well, the Iran thing, I think, is really the driving force for him. There's evidence to suggest um, that he was essentially radicalized in his earlier years by the um, the hostage crisis and the Iranian revolution in 1979. And ever since then, you know how we, we've been talking sort of just on and off about this idea that we have so much hubris that there are definitely officials inside the U.S. government who are like, we will never fucking forgive Iran for this. Like they are always like we were always hold this over them. We will never freak fucking forget it. He's one of them. So since then, this has that's like you said, this has been his mission to overthrow the government of Iran. 
And he didn't just, so he writes, writes editorials like that, as crazy as that two months ago to about North Korea. stop Iran's bomb, bomb Iran. And that was from what, 2014? Or 2015? 2015. So just over and over again, I mean, you can go back throughout the entire Bush administration. He was the one saying the most hawkish things on other countries, while in the Bush administration and also while outside of it. Um, and there was an interesting uh, thing that happened really recently. Um, uh, let's see, it's less than a year ago now, um, July 2nd, 2017. This is from CNS News. Um John Bolton was at a free Iran rally, um, and he says the 1979 revolution should not reach its 40th birthday. Wow. Um, and this is what he said to an audience full of MEK officials. In 2019, we here will celebrate in Tehran. So what, what he means is that by 2019... Uh, we will. They basically that MEK and the you know will will have control insanity. or U.S. forces will versus whatever governments control of Iran right now. Yeah, and we already know that the MEK is like a Israeli shell like terrorist group that uh, you know mm-hmm. assassinates nuclear scientists. Has been working with the U.S. government for a long time, and um, they are a designated terrorist group, and they just somehow fund uh, people like John Bolton, like Howard Dean. Yep. So yeah, telling, not surprising that he's speaking um, to the MEK, and also just saying that you guys, we're going to use you guys to basically foment regime change mm-hmm. and overthrow the government, and you guys will be on top. Wow. And he Amazing. really has created this little niche industry in D.C. by... I would describe it almost like as slightly out hawking people like Bill Crystal, and he's managed to do this by being a little bit more balls to wall, to the wall on Iran, because think about it. There's a lot of people in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, um, Saudi Arabian donors, Israeli donors, donors here inside the United States who are loyal to those countries, who, you know, would almost rather give money to someone like John Bolton than Bill Crystal if their main thing is getting rid of the Iranian government. And he has actually had a pack called the John Bolton Pack, which kickstarted the anti-Iran deal letter that was basically deployed by by Tom Cotton, who Tom was Bill Cotton, Crystal's yeah. puppet. Um, uh, John Bolton's pack raised a bunch of money for Tom Cotton as well. John Bolton's pack also tried to get Rand Paul, um, uh, like beat in the elections uh, multiple times they ran just smear ads against him when they didn't even have like a republican rival running against him it was almost like john bolton was just trying to smear him to the point of either intimidating him into changing his position on iran or actually just letting the democrat beat him in the election like that's what his pack was specifically doing for an entire year so even someone like Rand paul who we think is like milk toast as fuck and we don't like is dangerous enough in DC that like his anti-interventionist policies like need to be quashed with millions of dollars from John Bolton's super PAC. That's kind of fascinating. Yeah. He also just continuously supports military action and regime change in Syria, Libya, um, huge advocate of crushing the Iran deal. He served as the U S ambassador to the UN um, mm-hmm. back during the Bush administration. Um, he also, let's see. He also is a board member fellow at the AEI, the American Enterprise Institute. And he was before the Bush administration, which is notable because uh, even though he was one of the four founding directors of Project for the New American Century, 
uh, not very many of them were actually like actively involved in like the larger think tank culture. Like AEI was doing more shit at the time. Right. He was there before the Bush administration for like five or six years. See, that's sketch. Yeah, he was already very cemented sketch. in there. Um, uh-huh. He's in one of those ideologues that has been really working behind the scenes for for essentially decades. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Wolfowitzes, like you know, like those people who were just like floating around um, before the Bush administration. Yep. During Bush Senior. Um, Except- he's also a Fox News commentator, FYI. And he was also the foreign policy advisor to Mitt Romney back in 2012. I think he even has a Fox News contract. So he's right, like he a does. regular yep. he's contributor. He's a paid contributor. He's, mm-hmm. he's one of the guys who really sort of exemplifies the fact that the neocons have split off into two camps. One of them only goes to Fox News and one of them only goes to CNN and MSNBC. Um, and actually... He'll and then they'll kind of mix around on some of the more network news shows like NBC and CBS and PBS and stuff, but he only goes on Fox News. Um, and just going back to his super PAC really quick, it was set up in 2013. Uh, this is from Wikipedia. It says it raised 11.3 million dollars for Republican candidates. Uh, it paid Cambridge Analytica 650 thousand dollars for voter data analysis Whoops. and digital video ad targeting in support of the campaign of Senators Thomas Tillis, Tom Cotton, Richard Burr, and Scott Brown. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, he's all over. Yeah. He's, he's a part of the NRA. He was a founding member of the project for a new American century, which if you don't know about that, you should. Um, and, and, which on. is extremely notable because the project for the new American century is where all these neocons were once on the same page all together, exactly the same page. Right, right. Um, there was this apologist named Shadi Hamid who said, I wish John Bolton was a neocon. That would be much preferable to what he actually is. Someone who seems like a neocon when it comes to the use of force, but without the values, moral concern, or belief in <laughs> democracy. Um, and then... He says, I've been helpfully reminded that Bolton wrote the foreword for Pamela Geller's book. Geller is perhaps America's most notorious anti-Muslim bigot. So this guy has actually done panels and gone to the same think tanks as like Fred and Don Kagan. So I sent him stuff where Don Kagan was saying Arabs only, you know, only respect us when we are strong. You know, basically saying Arabs respect force, that they're like barbarians is another way of translating that. And, and Fred Kagan talking about invading Palestine. It's interesting that someone like him would act like neocons are morally superior to people like Pamela Geller, when it's actually, in my mind, they're worse because they're putting anti-Muslim like dehumanization under the guise of like intellectual humanitarianism, where someone like Pamela Geller is just more like nakedly bigoted. Do you know yeah, what I'm it's saying? Like low, it's like the lowbrow version of neocons. That's why they don't like Trump or people like John Bolton, because it makes them look bad. I mean, it ruins yeah, the whole facade. But, it, it removes the mask. But in reality, John Bolton now sounds just like Robert Kagan and Bill Crystal did then. They've just cleaned their, themselves up. They've cleaned up the way that they talk. Mm-hmm. Who knows what they actually still believe in private? Do you think that Bill Crystal and Robert Kagan would be opposed to Iranian regime change right now if they had the choice between doing it or not? Like if they could press a button and be like, here, make the decision right now if you want to do this. They would both say they would do it. He's they wouldn't one of the, care about he, the amount of casualties. Yeah, of course. Well, John Bolton is a unique individual because he's one of the few 
that not only was a leading proponent of the Iraq war, but he still to this day actually says it was good and he doesn't understand why people say it was bad. Yeah, um, of course. He defends his position. He says the biggest mistake that we made, not invading Iraq, not occupying it, not you know murdering a million civilians. He says the biggest mistake was that we withdrew U.S. forces. Whoops, yep. that's that's interesting. He says, I still think the decision to overthrow Saddam was correct. I think decisions made after that decision were wrong. I think the worst decision made was the 2011 decision. I like how he says decision like five times in a row. Decision to withdraw U.S. and coalition forces. Yeah, great job, Bolton. That's exactly uh, the big mistake that we made. I mean, one of the interesting things about him is I will give give him credit in the sense that he's clever in his rhetoric that it both appeals to like weird, like reptile brain, like partisan Republican people and like neocon, like foaming at the mouth, like bloodthirsty war hawks. Well, even Eli Lake wrote an an op-ed saying Bolton may sound unhinged, but he really can be a, a, a statesman. Oh, he just wrote this? Yeah, I just saw this. Wow. One. I don't know why I didn't put this in there. I really should have. Um, well, Eli, yeah, Lake Eli Lake is weird because it does seem like he is. He knows Michael Ledeen personally. Um, that he's like goes to his house sometimes and stuff. And Michael Ledeen is also one of those PNAC outliers who is pro Trump. So there's something interesting with Eli Lake where he's not necessarily on the same page as he was once was with like Jamie Kerchick. You know? That's interesting, but I do think that this speaks more to the fact that they will win regardless because right. it's the end goal that really matters. It's like, yeah, they can, yeah, these they factions, can talk about how they don't right. like the rhetoric. The factions ultimately don't matter because behind right. the scenes, they can at least agree that, yes, we do need to take out the DPRK. We do need to take out Iran. We do need to yeah. take out all these countries. We do need to like you know stand in the way of Russia. We do need to do all this shit. Um, and just some insight into John Bolton's mentality and his candidness— uh, and and just the what he's willing to say on record, he this is from Wikipedia. He wrote in his Yale twenty fifth reunion book. I confess, I had no desire to die in a Southeast Asian rice paddy. This is talking about why he didn't serve in <laughs> Vietnam. I considered the war in Vietnam already lost. And then he continues. By the time I was about to graduate, it was clear to me that opponents of the war had made it certain we could not prevail. And that I had no great interest in going there to have Ted Kennedy give it back to the people I might die to take it away from. Wow, what a weird, convoluted rationale. But I could see that being really appealing to like the type of people who Trump right. likes, you know? Like it's right. very it's very Trumpian in a weird way. Yeah, it no, just reminds it me is. of Trump. But it's smarter. I don't know. Right. Well, and also th- consider this. Trump really does nothing but watch TV. And he always like, you know, he'll watch Fox News and then basically just like repeat things that Fox says. So the fact that John Bolton's on there and is savvy and does have a good way about him of of being a crazy, warmongering, bloodthirsty, genocidal maniac. Um, Trump probably just saw him and he was like, I totally agree with everything this guy's saying. Like, I want him to be my national security advisor. And he probably just was like, I... I I heard Anna Kasparian and, and Jank talking about John Bolton yesterday, and Anna was saying she doesn't think he knows how crazy John Bolton is. He just liked him on Fox, and I totally disagree with that. I think that it's hard not to know what John Bolton stands for, but I do agree that, yeah, he, he probably just really got, got like kicks watching John Bolton and was like, I want that guy like on my team. Um, you know, he just got more and more convinced, but I, I don't think that he like is ignorant to how crazy John Bolton is. I think that that's precisely why he wants him on his side. I think you're exactly right. And 
if he thinks the big stick approach, like, let's just say for a second, give Trump the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that, okay, I don't know if you saw this um, weird news story that tried to, that came out today briefly that said that CNN's is reporting, uh, sources say that Trump and Bolton had a private conversation before he was officially announced, where Trump said, promise that you won't get us into another war. Now, that was interesting because it's like, oh, you know, for a second, even I was like, well, maybe Trump is doing like the riskiest thing. Maybe he's savvy enough to do the riskiest thing possible and have the biggest stick approach with actually nothing actually behind it, which would be like that wouldn't actually go along with the neocon sort of wet dream because they would want action to follow. Like they really do want to take out like Iran, North Korea. So part of me was like, maybe Trump doesn't really want to take them out, but wants them to totally like back down and like acquiesce to us in a way that will make him look super good. Like ego, you know, ego shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course it came out today. John Bolton was like, no, we never had that conversation. Yeah, I would I never, never make a that. promise like that. <laughs> I would never say that. How dare you? So like whatever story that was might've even been disinfo from Trump's own camp, um, white house. Right. So it wouldn't scare people. Are you still there? Happy? Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Right. Um, what, did you mute me? Yeah. Yeah. I accidentally muted you again. Um, no, you're totally right. And I, I always felt that story was fake. Um, when I heard it, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. This is like obviously some weird planted thing because this does not. Planted perhaps by Trump's uh, right. own people because they know that the anti- they know that a lot of people, I'm not saying that this at all to reinforce the idea that the right is anti-war because that's bullshit. But there are people who thought that he was serious about being like anti-intervention um, who just don't want us to like waste resources and stuff. And who the hell knows, man? It would be interesting to see who first put that story out there. It was CNN. What? That's yeah. even weirder, to be honest. It is weirder, but you know, knowing Trump uh, and his in his ways, maybe he likes to leak things to CNN because they hate him so much, just to see them falling for his own bullshit sometimes. Or right? Because they who can't knows? help themselves. Yeah, um, I mean, we're talking about a guy who directly used to work tabloids and like create fake personalities and leak stuff about himself to tabloids and get stuff in the media about himself all the time. It is disgusting. I mean, Pamela Geller is a really vile human being who is a leading Islamophobe who, you know, stages these draw the prophet Muhammad contests, sponsors these crazy bus ads, um, Mm -hmm. is a crazy woman. So it is, quite interesting that John Bolton is so close with her. I didn't even realize that he had written the forward to her book. The book is basically that Obama's a Manchurian candidate and a secret Muslim and the list goes on and on. He's like an illegitimate president who declared war on our country. It's called the post-American presidency, the Obama administration's war on America. And John Bolton felt strongly enough to actually provide a forward to Pam Geller. So they're beyond close. It's like Philip Zelikow and Condoleezza Rice. I mean, you don't just do that for someone, you know, that you don't wholeheartedly agree with. Of course. And that's the one interesting thing about John Bolton that sets him apart is I think a lot of these neocons realized, you know, maybe even more of the some, and, and I'm not saying this in any way, an anti-Semitic way at all, maybe some of the more Jewish neocons in D.C., because they understand, you know, sort of the history of like Jews being persecuted 
that they realized that they didn't have an unlimited amount of time to kill as many brown people as they wanted to. So at some point they wanted, they, I feel like some of them wanted to pivot quicker to like Russia and Asia than some of the other neocons wanted to do because they were still okay with murdering Arabs and Muslims unlimitedly. And they didn't, and I mean, maybe that's just completely invented in my head from being obsessed with neocons for so long. But I wonder sometimes if they knew how bad just that was going to look throughout in throughout history, say like 100 years from now, that like if they just kept only killing Middle Easterners over and over and over again, instead of pivoting a little bit and spreading around the murder more. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, but some of these, like John Bolton's not Jewish as far as I know. James Woolsey is not Jewish. Some of these more aggressive, you know, Michael Adine is. And he's just as aggressive as them. Like he still wants to just kill infinite amounts of Arabs and Muslims. So I'm just I'm just speculating here and wondering, you know, if that's part of it. Well, if, some if, of the most virulent Zionists are not Jewish. That's true. Yeah, and and John Bolton is very much so a Zionist, and and well, he, he's yeah yeah so he that, wrote an op-ed in 1991 for the New York Times saying yeah or Zionism Bannon is, is too. Not, he's not Jewish. Yeah, let me read this quote really quick. In 1991, he wrote an op-ed for the New York Times saying Zionism is not racism. Um, and in it, he says he calls Zionism one of the oldest national liberation movements of the modern age. Isn't that stunning? It's an actual quote from John Bolton. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's stunning. <laughs> Very stunning. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and also this is the other danger of Pompeo being given a secretary of state position. And I'm not saying him being at CIA was good. But Secretary of State is traditionally the more diplomatic end of U.S. foreign policy, at least superficially speaking. To have the CIA guy coming directly into the State Department, it's almost like that wall is being destroyed. And it's like, guess what? We're like, State Department is now fucking full claws out, motherfuckers. Like that, it's like, no, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not even under the guise of diplomacy. Right, right, right. You have Haley. Um, Pompeo, Bolton, it's just straight yeah. up Bush admin coming back, baby. And I think you can trace this Pompeo and Bolton as a little team. They are both extremely Islamophobic. They have both said things like the Muslim Brotherhood is like a sleeper, like has like all these sleeper cells around the U.S. That the Muslim religion in and of itself is one big giant sleeper cell. They subscribe to this larger conspiracy theory that people like Lori Milroy and Pamela Geller say. Um, and even Michael Flynn says, you know, who's supposed to be this anti-deep state hero that, you know, <laughs> we're supposed to worship or something. It's like, no. He's fucking co-wrote a book with Michael Dean. Like, stop saying bullshit like that. I'm sick of it. Um, Pompeo and John Bolton were both regular, or I'm sorry, not John Bolton, but Mike Pompeo specifically was a regular guest on Frank Gaffney's radio show. Um, that's how I actually first heard of Sebastian Gorka also before he got in the Trump administration from Frank Gaffney's radio show. Frank Gaffney is kind of like the brains behind a lot of this Islamophobia um, information. Like, you know, he's like an, he has like an Islam, like anti-Muslim think tank, basically. And he is also a signatory of Project for the New American Century. Um, and Bolton seems to kind of embody the same mentality as that, too. He's extremely Islamophobic, openly so, more like the classic neocons were around the time of 9-11. Um, 
So there's definitely is definitely a difference between him and other neocons, but that that's that it's like that raises the question of okay, so now that Bill Crystal and David Frum and all these people are on TV all the time, are they going to be asked to comment on John Bolton, their old colleague, who formed these think tanks with them with them and was part of all these same plans before? Like what? Like I, I'm just interested to see if that's ever going to come up, and it probably won't, but. Like it is interesting to see the coverage of John Bolton. It it is way more than I expected of yeah. just mainstream media saying this guy is a crazy war hawk. Why is he being picked? You know, it's but like without, where is that coverage for Haley and Pompeo? You're I mean, absolutely I know that right. John Bolton has a big history, but it is weird, isn't it? This is something and I almost wonder if it's just purely political. If it's right. just like the heat's coming down on Trump. Mm-hmm. Stormy Daniels, the Mueller investigation. Let's turn up the mm-hmm. heat as much mm-hmm. as we can on something else, just because. Fuck yeah. it. Yep. We don't even care. Like, it's more important to get him out of there and just like heat him up as much as possible than it is to like, you know, just not take this opportunity to <laughs> to do it. Yeah, it's like, like you don't I mean, like I don't know, it, it when Trump wants cynical. to. You don't like it when there's diplomacy with North Korea, but you you know you don't like it when there's a guy who says we should strike first. It's like, what do you guys want? I know, um, right? That's what's weird, so weird man. about it. I asked, I I asked Julianne Smith on Twitter, the the former head of CNAS, about that because she was acting scared of Bolton and the f- idea of a first strike in North Korea. And I'm like, but don't you guys want us to attack North Korea? Like, <laughs> can you say you don't? And she You're couldn't sexist. say she doesn't. You're sexist. So it's like, well, then then I'm, you kind of do want us to attack them, and that's like this. I mean, so what the fuck? They're just, John Bolton just makes them look bad. He's the You're low right. brown neocon. Just like dude, Trump they don't makes like him it. look bad. Yeah, exactly. That's Trump it. That's makes warmongering and cowboy diplomacy look bad. That's that's what it comes down to. That there's no deeper analysis than that. That's it. Yeah, and that's and that's why it's like now, but it also gives them all the opportunity to act like they're the civilized ones. So then, in another cycle, you know, if we survive this mess somehow. And another make it through another cycle, then they can all come back and be like, "Look, now we're going to be here to save you." Yeah, no, n- now you can't possibly vote against us because exactly, look what yeah. you're going to get. <clears throat> so let's let's wrap it up by just talking about you know, it, mention really quickly how he even goes into Cuba WMDs and just how we can wrap up this podcast without you know making people want to jump off a bridge. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, in 2002, um, he was one of the only people from the Bush administration that I'm aware of. This is while he was actually part of the Bush administration, um, saying that <clears throat> Cuba had a WMD program. They were developing biological weapons. Um, so I'm going to take a guess, and I, this I think is a pretty educated guess, that he was trying to get them in the access of evil, maybe. you know, Maybe he wanted them there instead of in one of the other countries, actually. Um, yeah, it's he, hard he to really say. Maybe he wanted a, 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 a quadrangle of evil or something yeah. <laughs> you know, with four more countries. Um, and in 2002, he said that we should probably either send inspectors or attack them to destroy their uh, biological weapons program. And I actually remember when that story came out like six or eight months ago about the sonic weapons attacks in Cuba. Yeah, I immediately thought back to John Bolton, and I was like, "This is just weird that this seems so out of left field." I wonder if this is just like Bolton putting this out or something. It just seemed so out of left field to me. I mean, I don't know if it was. I don't know if you know whatever really happened with that. Um, but 
So, so I think that what we know now, incontrovertibly, is that <clears throat> Trump has assembled. This isn't the deep state doing anything for Trump. This is Trump himself. Um, the vacuous clown fuck that is Trump has assembled a crazy <laughs> war hawk cabinet of outliers who are even more insane than Bush administration. Yes, Trump hasn't started a war yet. Neither did Bush in the first year of his office, right? This is all, <clears throat> or was it was 9-11 in the first year of his office? Whatever. I'm saying that this could be catastrophically worse than the Bush administration because of these crazy people that he has assembled around him. Um, aside from that, just the anniversaries of the Iraq war, the My Lai massacre, when are we going to stop and reflect on the horrendous crimes and atrocities that the U.S. empire has caused for the past century around the world? How many more atrocities? How many more anniversaries? How many more events will it take? How many more times will the media try to sell a narrative to you, push an agenda down your throat to try to justify killing people? For no reason to cement and bolster our standing in the world. How many more times will we allow it before we say no more? Before we say we don't believe you, that we're not going to listen to you, that we're not going to support you? How many times before we don't buy into this hyper-partisan divide? Um, we need to take a step back and look at the landscape that's been created for us. Because it's getting scarier, it's getting treacherous, and it could get um, nightmarish considering who the players are. Haley, Pompeo, Bolton. Um, it's not a joke, guys. And and you need to really correct the people who are still spouting off nonsense about Trump being anti-war. We need to get on the same page here and start building a real resistance, a unified resistance of just critical thinkers who can see through all of this. And all the divides within sectarianism and the left, I'm sick of it. I'm not playing a part in it anymore. I'm just going to plow through and and do what I think is right because um, the stakes are too high. The stakes are too high. And the only, I mean, the only thing I will disagree, I mean, and I, we don't have to see 100% eye to eye on this, but the, the only thing I'll say is that people on the left or anybody Mm-hmm. who is trying to push any kind of regime change or trying to convince you that you are morally bankrupt for not supporting a form of U.S. regime change, I, I think I think those people need to be called out too. Because any, I mean, at this point in time, any kind of U.S.-driven regime change is a, is a should just be resisted 100 fucking percent. <laughs> like, I, at this point in time, I, it's it's over. Like you need to resist it with one hundred percent of your energy and your soul, in if you're engaging in this. I, I mean, that's that's my opinion on it. Um, and I'm not saying you need to do it twenty four seven all during the day. I'm just saying stand firmly in that position if you believe in anti imperialism and anti war. Um, there's just it's just too easy to get sucked in, down into these paths where it's like. You know, it just the left is like still so fractured on Syria, and it's just like, what happened? Like, obviously, it wasn't. It was was never a good idea to attempt to overthrow Assad. Like, I don't care where you fall in the argument. So, if you thought that was a good idea, then like, I don't take you that seriously, and I and I will probably criticize you if you continue to advocate for regime change in Syria. 
Oh, no, so, I totally think we should criticize the people who are doing that. I guess I just yeah. meant the sectarianism against people who like us. The oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, from like, us. yeah, like the, that, that weird, we'll talk about it on a different yeah, podcast. Yeah. So that SPLC p- uh, right, piece right, right. that came out. Yeah, there's definitely weird things happening in that in that area. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me personally, I think Bill Crystal, Robert Kagan, the project for the New American Century architects are some of the most dangerous people in the United States in terms of what they believe and what agenda they want to carry out. And I would say Bolton is actually more dangerous than them, potentially more dangerous. Um, and that's very scary to me. We're um, just getting had. I mean, it's the, it's the people who are the Bush administration running Trump. And then it's the people in the Bush administration running the opposition. It's like, do we not realize that we're just getting had? Yeah. I mean, we are getting had and, you know, it's, it is really sad how they just can play us all from all different sides. You know how Bill Crystal and these neocon think tanks and the neoliberal think tanks right now pretending like it's bad that John Bolton is in, but they'll be right behind an administration that launches another war. That's how this works. So will the media, like, I can't imagine the media opposing one of Trump's actual wars if he decides to launch one. No. That's the weird part about this. Like CNN, all these, they're war channels. That's what they get off on. So to think that like they're going to be there like resisting Trump if he decides to attack Iran, no. It's a vehicle for advertising. You have John Bolton on Fox News between advertising for Boeing and Raytheon. I mean, that's what the corporate media is. Let's never forget that. Um, Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Stay tuned for a double whammy, if not triple whammy. We're coming out with with, uh, several episodes in a row. So let us know what you think, what you want us to talk about next. And um, we love when you guys leave comments on the, the SoundCloud timeline and really appreciate all the feedback. And please donate to our Patreon. We are going to stay true. Guys, sorry again about the delay. I'm in the middle of a move. So... Um, I had to uh, make my brother do most of the work this month, but we really appreciate your support. Um, As always, you guys rock, and thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Peace.